0: Thank you, brother. Yeah. (laughs) Ricochet rabbit. What can I say? All right. Let's open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We are done. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to go from 14. On your outlines, this is verse 20, but uh, I'm just going to touch on the the final greetings that Paul has for us. I changed the chords to that first song and I never went to them. Okay, sorry about that. That's Well, I know. You're, you're saying, what? Just rehashing stuff in my mind. Let's focus on the Word of God, amen? Let's do that. Um, a lot of things that are, are in the way, a lot of things that have gotten in the way this week, this day. But today, we, we just want to bring glory to God, amen? That's what we want to do. Finish off the book of Philippians, this letter, as I've said before. Was a letter that um, Paul wrote. It's one continuous letter. We break it up into pieces because we're kind of. It's kind of hard for us to understand what Paul is going through, what Paul is trying to say to the people in Philippi, what uh, is transpired. And always remember that every time that Paul writes a letter in in the New Testament, all the letters are addressing an issue, something that came up, something that has. Um, that has brought the need to write a letter to that church, to that group of people. The church was never uh, a building. The church was always the people. Just like today, this is our church building. You have come to the church building. You are the church. And as I was trying to explain it to my grandson, I says, the people are the ones that come to the church uh, building. It's the church that comes to the church building. And he, I mean, at nine years old, God, He says, you mean I'm the church? I says, yes, you're the church. And so the churches that met in these various cities, they met in homes. Uh, I don't think they really had a building. Some people met in synagogues or other places that they were able to meet and enjoy the fellowship of one another. But the, the important part was the ecclesia, the called out ones, were the ones that were being fed by the leaders and Paul was leading the, the elders of these churches and he would give them instruction, he would send them letters. Now, there are a lot of other letters that Paul wrote that we don't have any record of, or maybe we have some fragments of some letters, but the ones that were preserved were these letters here. There's some letters that were written to, for instance, uh, the, the people in Corinth. Corinthians supposedly has four letters, maybe uh, three for sure, maybe four, because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says something, and then in 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, as, as far as like I mentioned to you in the last letter, and you go back to the first letter, that which he mentioned, is not in there, so apparently there was another letter in between those two. Corinthians was a troubled church. Uh, we went through that quite some time ago. The reason I'm saying this is because right here, at this point in time, we come to the place where Paul is uh, giving us some insight as to why he's writing to the people in Philippi. And as I've mentioned to you before, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. He's not in Philippians, he's not with the Philippians or in Philippi, he's not in Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem, captured there, kept in prison for two years and now he's in Rome. He's going to be in Rome for two years and after that he's going to be beheaded. And so Paul is reflecting on his life and all the things that people have done and, and all the ministries that he's, he's started and the churches and the missionary groups and all the people that he's just lifted up. And so Paul's reflecting. He writes four letters. He writes this one. He writes the next book that we're going to write, read, Colossians. And he's also written Philippians. And I think he wrote another one to uh, a couple other people. He wrote to, to the, 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 the prison epistles to uh, Timothy and Titus, I believe, as well. So what Paul is doing is he's kind of Taking care of business at the end of his life, kind of like what we should do, doing a spiritual inventory. Philippi was his favorite church. Uh, he loved this church. He, it brought him joy just to see these brethren the, and, and, and the, you know, just watching them grow and develop and, and just how God has just blessed them and, and how they have blessed him. He calls them my crown and my joy. And uh, we talked about the Stephanos, the crown that is being used here, that word, not the diadem though, of Jesus Christ or of a king, but a Stephanos. It was like a, a reward and for Paul to just know that these people, they love loved him and he loved them and just to, just to see him watch him grow and, and so as you read this letter from the very beginning to the end you, you wouldn't you wouldn't even know that he was in prison because of all the joy that he had and his excitement for this church and just the things that he was saying and how he was he, he's, he's watched this group grow and he says to them you know continue working out your salvation with fear and trembling not that I've already achieved it I'm not even made perfect it but one thing I do I forget what's behind and I strain forward to what's ahead Paul is in prison. He gets visited by a couple of the brothers, Epaphroditus or Epaphos is one of them. uh, And then more than likely, probably Luke or some other uh, brother comes in and and they come to give Paul a gift. The church in Philippi had collected this this money and, and these gifts and whatever it was that they had out of their poverty as best as they could. They say, we love Paul and he knows we love him, but we want to show him in a very tangible way. And as we talked last week, Paul says, you know, I don't really need it. And he wasn't trying to be ungrateful. And this is what the second part is all about. He says, not that I need it. I mean, I've got everything. I'm content whether I have a lot or I don't have anything. I am content in the Lord. And if the letter would have stopped just right there, we'll read that here in just a little bit. If the letter would just stop right there, you would almost get the idea that Paul was very ungrateful for what the people did for him. You know, and it's not that he didn't want the gift or that he needed the gift or didn't need the gift. He just was like, you know, I've got all I need. What do I need? All I need is my, the, the clothes on my back and food. And these guys feed me. I'm chained to a prisoner. Uh, I, I got no place to go. I got nowhere to spend money at. So what, what am I? I'm content. I'm happy to be in the Lord's service. And if you weren't here last week, I, I encourage you to, to hear the last two messages. Uh, don't worry. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul says, first and foremost, how can you not be anxious about anything? But just be content. Just know that today has enough worries of its own, as Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And don't worry about tomorrow for today has plenty of pressures and problems for for anything. And everything can trip you up. Anything can trip you up and try to keep you from worshiping God. And so as you strive every day to go forward, you got to remember that the purpose that you're here for is to bring glory to God in everything that you do, in your life, in your job, in your school, Everything that you do is to bring glory to God. And what Paul expresses here, he says, you know, this is one way that you have expressed glory to God. Let's go back to uh, verse, uh, back in verse, I think, well, yeah, we'll start in verse 10. Let's start in verse 10 to kind of recap on what we talked about last week. And then we're going to go on to verse 20 from there. Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me remember last week when i said revive the word that is used there it's a horticultural term that is is kind of stating that this plant this whatever it is, this uh, tree, this bush that has been dormant all these months because of winter or whatever the case may be. That word that he's using, it's, it's this, this root that has been covered and all of a sudden all the snow and everything melts off of it. And it feeds this root and it starts to bud. Paul is saying, you know, your, your, your love for me, it's, it's like I know it's always been there. And it's been dormant. For whatever reason, you hadn't been able to reach me or send me any kind of gift or anything. But now it's just starting to blossom. It is just boom. It's coming out and, and it's producing a beautiful uh, flower. And, and I really appreciate it. And he says, he says, I rejoiced. He says, I was excited. I was well, just glad in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul's not saying, well, it's about time. That's not what he's saying. That's how some people have gotten there. Well, it's about time you send me something. No, it's not that at all. It's just that sometimes and it's not that you don't think about your pastor. It's not that you don't think about those that are in leadership. And it's not about that. It's just that there's times that all of a sudden it just, you know, I'm just going to do this. And, and, And so when Paul when Paul received this gift, he wasn't saying, you know, I've been in prison all these years and now you send me something. No, he was he was trying to get across with this word that he used that I know that you've been dormant because of your love for me. It's not that it's dormant. Your love is now you're able to share it. And I thank God for that I rejoiced for it, he says. Because he qualifies this. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Once again, not, not that I was speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to, uh, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So therefore, I don't need anything. I don't need anything for you to be giving me. I don't need for you to be sending me gifts. It's kind of the way it could come across if that's where it ended. I can be strengthened through Christ. Christ gives me everything. He supplies all my needs. Anything I need, God will give me the strength to do it. And as we talked last week, this is probably one of the verses that are taken out of context more than anything. You know, Paul is not saying I can uh, go shopping and God will give me all the strength that I need. I, he's not saying that I can go to school and he'll give me all the strength I need. He'll give me all the answers to the questions that, that I have in front of me there was a time when I was proctoring for the CBEST and the and other tests that people were taking, teachers and other professionals, and I would proctor the, the tests, and then we'd have about anywhere 40 to 60 people, and, and uh, you know, they, I'd tell them a little bit about myself while I was, was going there, and one time they asked me, so, so you're a pastor? I says, yeah, I pastor a church. Can you say a, a word of prayer for us before we take this test? I said, well, sure, and I asked, is everybody okay with that? I mean, if anybody is not, please let me know. We'll just, uh, I'll just pray for you in silence. And I said, no, okay, so I started praying for them, and I can't remember everything that I said. I said, Lord, and for those that studied hard, you know, just bring back to remembrance everything that you had given them. And and Lord, for those that didn't study, have mercy upon them. The whole place just started cracking up. (laughs) Just have mercy on them. Because, you know, God is not going to give you the answer if you're not prepared for it. He's not going to give you the ability to withstand anything if you've not even gotten into his word and stood on his word. See, Paul has just stated, I can be content in every situation. I have been high. I have been low. I have been dead, left for dead. I went to the third heaven. I came back. And I know by experience that I can can do anything. And therefore, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. And what he's saying to us, he says, you can be content with all that's going on in your life because of the strength that God gives you. Now, yes, he'll strengthen you. And recall all the questions that you have in, in your mind for the test that you're about to take or that you're taking. He'll strengthen you while you're going through a difficult situation in a relationship. But, but the context of it states, more importantly, that he'll strengthen you when you learn, when I learn contentment. When I start to learn how to be content, I can do this. Because by all intent and purposes, everything around me says I should have more. I should have more than like my neighbor or my friends or my family. I should, I should have enough, even more so. I know I have enough, but I just need a little bit more. And when God gives you the strength, you can withstand all the temptations of wanting to be like everybody else. And Paul says, you know what? I got all that I need. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the gift. But my God's going to strengthen me with, all, with everything. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then we come into today's passage. He says, yet. Okay, okay, you know, <laughs> let me just qualify this. You know, I'm not trying to say that I don't, you know, like the fact or appreciate the fact that you sent this. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. And once again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father in heaven, help us to remember that the gift that we give is a gift that is holy and pleasing to you. Help us to remember that the gift that we give is a sacrifice for some uh, out of their abundance, for some out of their need. Help us to remember that the gift that we give is to further the kingdom. And Lord, help us to remember that we cannot love without giving. You are a giving God. The more that we give, and as often as we give, we give just like you because you are a giving God. You gave your son, your one and only son, and we've learned and we will learn that we can never outgive you. So, Father, thank you for this gentle promise at the end of this letter, as he blesses the people in Philippi, and he blesses us as well. I praise you and I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first thing on your outlines, if you would just pull them out, uh, if you don't have them out already, partnership in the gospel. You see, Paul ends his letter basically like he starts his letter. But the very first thing, and that's this way, your gift promotes the gospel. Your gift promotes the gospel. It promotes the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, and it's a very simple presentation. It's a very simple gospel, but I'm going to tell you something, that it cuts to the heart, especially for those who are not saved and want nothing to do with God. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. The Bible says that we are are in enmity with God. The Bible says that we hate God. The Bible says that we want nothing to do with God. The Bible says there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who searches God. And I know that there are places and people that say, well, you know, this man is looking, this brother is, is searching. You know, we, he's looking for God. No, he's not. The Bible is very clear on that because you were dead, as Ephesians 2 One says we were dead in our trespasses, dead, dead, dead. Doesn't matter what you give this person, no matter what you tell this person, no matter how much you want to revive this dead corpse. If the corpse is dead, it is dead. And the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses. And the only way to bring life to a dead person is through the spirit of God. Like we talked about last week with uh, Lazarus, Lazarus was dead four days. Jesus Christ brought him back to life. That, beloved, is a miracle. And so therefore, a dead person cannot ask for help. A dead person, and this is the gospel message. The gospel message is that all of us are alienated from God. We want nothing to do with God. Our hearts stray away from God and shy away from God. Now, I know that there's a belief in our culture and in our times that there are a lot of people that want God, that desire God. But what they desire is the benefits of God. They desire what God has to offer. What, is, what are the, some of the things that God has to offer? Well, He, he offers forgiveness of sin. Uh, you know, everybody wants their sin to be forgiven. Don't hold that against me anymore. He offers uh, peace and stability. He offers, uh, he, he offers uh, not only peace, but He also offers the, the ability to be able to just say, you know, it's, it's okay. He offers you eternal life. Everybody wants to live forever. Nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Those things that God offers, people want. People want to be comforted and understand that they don't have to hold all this bitterness, all this anger, all this resentment. They know that all these things can be taken care of because God's Holy Spirit can do that. They've heard it. They've even sensed some of it. They want all the benefits of God, but the one thing they don't want is God himself to be telling them how to run their life. This is my life. I do what I want. I go to church if I want to go to church. I don't have to go to church. I go up to the mountains and I can worship up there. I told one guy, he says, well, really, how often do you do that? Well, I could. If I wanted to, I could go up into the mountains. But how often do you do that? See, church is not a prerequisite for salvation. Church is essential to work out your salvation. The prerequisite for salvation is a broken and contrite heart. That's what God says. He doesn't want your gifts. He doesn't want your, he doesn't desire those things. What God desires are not the sacrifices of bulls or rams or any of that, any of those things. What he wants is a broken and contrite heart. Like in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee comes up and he starts praying to God. And Jesus is using these two people as an example of what God is searching for. And this Pharisee stands there and he says, Thank you, Lord, that you haven't made me uh, you know, like this man or like a woman or, or like a Gentile that I, I have tithe and I give to you all the time. And, well, look at me, God. Aren't you just impressed? basically is what Jesus Christ was saying. And then he says the tax collector. A tax collector was always looked at looked at as the scum of the earth. The tax collector was the one that would take advantage of people, and steal their money. A tax collector was given a piece of property or a piece of a province, I guess you would say, a little portion of the city. And the, by the Roman government, they says, okay, go, this is yours, how much you want to pay for it? And they would say, well, I'll settle on X amount of dollars. And he would pay X amount of dollars. And then he would go and try to Earn that money back by taxing people, and of course, with that kind of liberty, you can tax them whatever you want. There was a fishing tax, there was a uh, oil tax, there was a walking tax. Where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. That's a long way. It's going to cost you some money, Uh, and, and there was all kinds of taxes. And these guys were just, and they had the right to do so. They usually had Roman soldiers with them to be able to enforce this tax, and they can tax whatever they want. And people knew they were crooked, and people knew that they were beyond this ability to be even ethical. And here's this tax collector, and he's praying, and he knows that he's a sinner. He knows what he has extorted from people. He knows what he has taken from families and and children, even women. He knows what he has done, and he's before the Lord crying out, have mercy on me, God, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Jesus asked, well, which one of those two do you think came away righteous? Well, the righteous guy that came forward, Jesus says, he was already righteous. So he didn't think he needed any saving. He just came to affirm himself and check, see, check in with God so that God can say, well done, good, good. But the people responded and said, well, the guy that was the broken and contrite, that's who left their righteous. See, beloved, it's not a matter of how you are now. It is the, con- the brokenness, recognizing you need a savior. Most of the people that are seeking for God, they're just seeking for the benefits. They're not seeking salvation. They're not seeking some sort of authority figure over them. They're not seeking a head. They're not seeking a governance. They're not seeking someone to help them through this world. They can figure it out all on their own. Just take care of my problems for me, Jesus. Just take care of all these little things that I got, and I'll take care of the rest. People, the Bible does specifically state there is no one who seeks God. All of us have open graves our mouths are like open graves we say what we want death just spews out the bible says that the that the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life and when we commit our life to christ when we recognize that we're wicked that's the gospel recognizing the fact that we are in a state where we are under the judgment of god under the wrath of god you cannot come to a church building. You cannot come to a place of worship and meet God Almighty and leave the same. Yet week after week after week, people do that. They come, they get the experience, the feeling, that, oh, I feel so good. Oh, that was so positive. It was very motivating. It was very, uh, no. When you come in contact with God Almighty, you're dead. And you sense the, the holiness of God. I had one guy tell me one time, very close to me, he says, you know, one of the reasons I don't like coming here is because every, every time I come here, man, you just talk right at me. You're, you're, you're attacking me. It seems like, you know, I, man, I feel so guilty. Well, good. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. It's supposed to convict the world of sin. That's what he does. He points people to the cross. He doesn't bring glory to himself. He brings glory to Jesus Christ. And the gospel message is that Jesus Christ and the reason that the Holy Spirit points people to the cross, to Jesus Christ, is because that's where the finished work of God is. Oh, how terrible it is, beloved, to gain the whole world and be as happy and as blissful as possible, yet lose your soul. You know, and... And, and we can preach messages of encouragement, of, of how to manage your money, how to take care of your children, how to live this life in this world, and, you know, whatever, we can. But first and foremost, you got to know that you need a Savior. Otherwise, what's the point? Literally, what's the point? And the, the message, the gospel message that you participate in when you give your gifts and your offerings, and when you give your whatever it is, you participate in that message. And the elders, the people of the church, and this is not just absolving you from your responsibility to share the gospel message. But you see, people like myself and Ken and, and James and others, we, we are in areas sometimes that are very dark. We're given the opportunity to be able to do certain ministries in certain places. And because of that, because of how uh, this church has been operating and how your gifts, what they do is they're able to supply us with the ability to go and do the things that God has called us to do. We have the tools. We have the ability, we have the facilities, but you see, the monies that come into North Park not only goes to the staff or the people here, but it also goes to missionaries around the world. We belong to the uh, this cooperative program, where the monies that come in, that we give a portion of it, and we send it to what's called the Home Mission Board or, or Northern American Mission Board that focuses on America, which includes Canada and Mexico, and then the Foreign Mission Board, which includes out everywhere else, and our missionaries that that we sponsor the, the, through this cooperative program, our missionaries, they are well taken care of. In other denominations and other places, missionaries go and they're sent and they, well, they have to come back every six months or sometimes even <laughs> every three months. And for six months to eight months, they have to raise their own funds and then they go back. And it cuts a lot of the time and a lot of the ministry that they're able to do. What we do is we, we're able to house people and give them the ability to continue on in the mission. You're giving is having a worldwide impact. And it has an impact on not only the lives of the missionaries, they take their wives, they take their children, they take their whole family, and we house them, we give them a vehicle, we give them food to to live on. And granted, most of the world, it doesn't take as much as it does here in the United States. So it's not a whole lot, but everyone is taken care of. Regardless of what we give, we're a small church. So therefore, our portion that we give is very small compared to a lot of these other churches. But when we do this in cooperation, that's why they call it the cooperative program. We do it in cooperation when it all comes together and it gets sent out to all the missionaries. 100% of what we give is given to the missionaries. You see, when you give, whatever it is, whatever amount it is, what you give furthers the kingdom. It promotes the gospel. And it gives the gospel to everyone else. And Paul, from the very beginning, he was aware of this. He says, yet... It was kind of you to share. That word "share" is koinonia, is a word that we use for fellowship. It was it was kind of you to fellowship with my troubles. I'm in prison. You guys are sharing what you guys have. Given you. I'm in prison, and I thank you for fellowshipping with me. Fellowshipping is not just coffee and cheese man. Uh, I mean, coffee and cheesecake. For those of you that don't understand Spanish, cheese man is the word for gossip. Okay. <laughs> Fellowship is not a time that we get together and have coffee and donuts and, you know, we ask you to come to the fellowship hall. And and I say intentionally we're going to fellow shape because really there's there's a form of fellow shaping or fellowshipping at the same time. But we share in each other's burdens and each other's troubles. Fellowship is is when you share with one another in, in things that are furthering the gospel. So there's a sense of that as we leave this place. But Paul is saying, you know, you are. Fellowshiping. You are sharing with my troubles. You're sharing with me. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, Paul is more concerned about the gospel than he is anything else. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. That's another word for fellowship. That's another koinonia term. There's fellowshipping, partnership, sharing, all fellowship. With me in giving and receiving. What does he mean by giving and receiving? I'm going to touch on this a little bit more later. But every time that you give, guess what? You receive. Not find, it's not like a big slot machine, okay? It's not like God's cosmic slot machine. You go in and go, okay, Lord, here's my 10%. Okay, where's my, where's my giving? Where's my stuff? It's not like that. It's the, it's the ability to know, number one, that your gift is being promoted and used for the kingdom of God. Number two, God blesses you with this heavenly reward. A lot of times it's financial. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's material blessings. But ultimately, it is the blessing of knowing that what you've done is furthering the kingdom and your fruit is being displayed in heaven. Let me go up to uh, Philippians 1, verse 3 and 5. At the very beginning of this book, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel there it is again paul's partnership he knows that this church is has been giving even from the very beginning when he left he didn't ask for uh finances he didn't ask for money he didn't say he was gonna you know he didn't start a GoFundMe account there was no such thing he was empowered by the holy spirit to go and god said to him paul i will take care of all your need anything you need just go and the places where he had to go he was a tent maker And he made tents. I think personally it was so that he can get to the working class people more than it was anything else. And I I don't know if that really helped him in his surviving, but I'm sure it did. People helped him and people were able to, to bless him. And he says here, your partnership in the gospel from the very beginning, he says, from the first day until now. And that's how he started this letter. You partnered with me. You're fellowshipping with me. You're giving to me. You've, you've been a blessing to me in such a way that I, I just can't even express it. And then he concludes the letter, not that I was in need. You know, not that I wanted it, really. I don't. You know? But you know, I, just, I want you to know this, that you have been, and it hasn't gone unnoticed. You see, because ultimately in Matthew 28, 19-20, Jesus came to them. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That, by the way, is verse 18, before 19. You know, as a matter of fact, let me back up a little bit there. Verse 17. Verse 17, this is the resurrection. People people are watching Jesus. They see him, and they're recognizing that he's resurrected. And in verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they believed. They worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You see, when you see Jesus, you worship him. When you come in contact with Jesus, when you experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you, worship is automatic. It It just flows. You express your love to God. You love him for what he's done and for who he is. That's worship. You praise him for what he's done on the cross and for who he is, creator and sustainer of all the universe. That's worship. You express your love to Him because of all that He's done and who who He is. And we recognize that either in song or in worship or uh, of music or wherever it is. That's genuine worship. And see, these people, when they saw Him, the Bible says, they worshiped Him. And the reason a lot of people have not yet gone, taken this next commission, the the Great Commission, people have not gone to the next step is because they doubt. They haven't really been to that place and only those that can see him will worship him others will just doubt and that's why Jesus came to you and said all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me therefore go and make disciples of all nations a disciple is a believer a disciple is an apprentice and a a disciple is a, a a person in training They had disciples back then of all kinds, of all trades. There were apprentices of all trades. The teacher would teach the student on what he needed to do. Socrates had disciples. Uh, All these people had disciples. And Jesus says, you need to go out and make a learner. You need to make a, a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to make disciples. That's our responsibility collectively. He says, go into all the world And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is key. Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Make a believer, share the gospel message with them, let them know that God died for their sins, they need a Savior. Number two, you make that disciple. Number three, have them baptized. The very first thing that has to happen when you become a believer, you need to be baptized. But I don't know enough. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. If you look at this progression, it says, Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then teach them. You make a disciple, you baptize them, and then teach them what it is that they just did. The command is to obey, is to be obeyed. And the command is get baptized. But but, but I don't know. (laughs) Of course you don't know. Many of us don't really know the full significance of baptism and how it means the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how Jesus was buried for three days in the water, excuse me, underground, and then he came back up again, and he became, was a new creation, a new being. Same thing with us. We baptize you, we hold you underwater for three days. I mean, uh, for just, (laughs) until all the sin bubbles are gone. Oh, all the sin bubble's gone? Yeah, okay, now he's ready. No, and I said that one time to this, this lady, and she says, and if you see the pastor go, oof, that was me going like this. It, we, we just we baptize you, we, we lower you. It's a symbol of your death and your burial and then your resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's an obedience to what Jesus Christ said that we must do. If you're a new believer, if you're a brand new believer, doesn't matter how long you've been a believer, if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized by commandment of Jesus Christ. We baptized several people here. Some of the people that we baptized, we baptized because when they did it, they were kids or, you know, they were they didn't understand the full meaning of it. They thought they were going to get saved and they didn't. So they kept going back out in the world or whatever the case may be. But we are it's a symbol. And not only is it a symbol, it's amazing on how um, in the Bible it says that that Moses took the people through the, the Red Sea as they parted. And it was a form of baptism in a sense. And that has another spiritual significance. You know, and as we leave this world into, into heaven through either the rapture or when we die, that in a sense is a baptism. You know, so there, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to baptism than just getting in the water. But you do it because you made your profession of faith to Jesus Christ. For those of you that have been coming here for just a short amount of time, you've probably noticed that I don't do an altar call have you come forward to make your profession of faith. Okay, that's not a biblical concept. The concept is you Repent and follow Jesus Christ. That's it. Repent, follow Jesus Christ. Now, the second step after you become a believer, a disciple, is to get baptized. That is your profession of faith. You get baptized to show the world that I am a believer, to show the world that I am willing to, to die and live for Jesus Christ. You see, baptism doesn't save you. It just basically makes you wet. Baptism is a symbol A very important symbol one that Jesus Christ commanded that we ought to do make disciples baptize them teach them in that order not teach them and then baptize them and then make them see if they want to be a disciple later those that come to church and come to church and I yeah I'm not getting it I'm not getting it well have you become a believer well I don't know yet I'm kind of seeking no you're not (laughs) you're not seeking anything you just want the benefits Well, I'm still kind of flip-flopping. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. You haven't convinced me. It's not my job to convince you. My job is to give you the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit that convinces you and convicts you. And once that happens, you become a believer, you repent, and you say, I want to be baptized. And not because you're going to get saved. All that is is a symbol, a very important symbol, kind of like the symbol of my wedding ring. This doesn't make me married, and it doesn't make me unmarried. But it's a very important symbol that I wear to show my devotion to my wife. And we exchange these. Years ago, I'm trying to count the years right now. Yeah, I better I better be quiet here because I'm gonna get in trouble. Uh, what's that? Almost 40? Wow, I was gonna say 116, 117. That was a long time ago. Thank you, Mia. It's my daughter, by the way. And, and but the, the point is, it's a symbol. And for those of you that are married, you carry a symbol. Some of you can't for whatever reason, you know. It, it's un, but but the fact is, is that it's a symbol of your devotion to Christ. And when you commit your life to Christ, you, you show your commitment to the world, to the church, to the body, that, yes, I've made that commitment. And then the Bible says, you teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, you know, the beautiful thing about that is, Jesus said himself, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I'll be with you. And so when you promote, when you give, your gift promotes the gospel and gives the gospel. You know, I was... Um, I have, been, I have been involved in a, in a ministry, a motorcycle ministry, for, for a lot of years. And I have been to places that most people would even, they would be embarrassed to know that I've been there. You've been there. And a lot of the outlaw world, you wouldn't believe in how many of them really know about God. And they have a lot of information. They got a lot of education, you know, because as, as one person told me, I know where God's at. Really? You know where God's at? And he says, yeah, I know where he's at. He's in prison. I go, what? Yeah, it's where everybody finds God. He's in prison. He, so he's been, he's been locked up all these years. People go in and they find him. They come back out and they turn out to be the same. Some of these guys, they've read and they've read and they've got a lot of information. And every once in a while, one of those guys that come up to us because of the patch that we were. And he says, so you're a Christian, right? He says, yeah, so what do you think? And, and they start asking questions. And as I start to share the gospel, it, inevitably it always comes up. You know, my mama used to always pray for me or my grandma used to always pray for me. And you know, been, I know that they've been praying for me. I go, well, this is the reason. Your gift enables us to be able to go into the dark world to be able to share the gospel to people. Not necessarily missionaries overseas, missionaries into the dark world that we know the culture, we know the language, we know the the protocol, and we're able to get in and talk to some of these people. I, I had the honor and the privilege to pray uh, for one of the biggest leaders in this area uh, of one of the outlaw groups. And, and as I finished praying for him, he, I asked him first, can I pray? Yeah, sure, pray for me. And as I finished praying for him, some of his buddies came up and patted him on the back. You feel better now? <laughs> Making fun of him. he told you know, get out of here, man. <laughs> Don't talk to me. The, that kind of a opportunity doesn't come to just anybody. Because of your gift, because of what you're able to do, the gospel is being spread here and around the world. Number two, Your gift produces fruit. This is where Paul was really just focusing on. More than anything else, he wanted to focus on this part. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. And once and again, not not that I seek the gift. Okay, guys, just understand this. It's not that I I want the monies. It's not that I want it. But I seek, Paul says, the fruit that increases to your account. Your gift produces fruit on your account. This was Paul's genuine concern, not for himself, but for the people. Because when you give, it's a simple, it's a very simple and um, very tangible way of showing how much you love God. On how you love God. And Paul says, and it it increases in your life. It increases to your account. It increases to what what it is that God wants to do in your life. And, And so when you bear fruit, when you give, it bears fruit. A spiritual fruit. Now, this fruit that Paul is talking about, there's, there's all kinds of fruit that the Bible talks about. When he says, uh, not, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases in your account. This, it's, it's a fruit of righteousness, it's a fruit of salvation, it's the fruit of praise. There's fruit that is considered to be other disciples, it's the fruit of thanksgiving. I mean, there's all kinds of fruit that the Bible talks about. So in this instance, we have to look at this. Okay, well, Paul is looking at the, the gift that came to him, and he's, he's happy that it's being counted to their righteousness or to their account. In what way? Because every time that a genuine believer gives, it just blesses him even more so. That's why Jesus told Paul it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it's a shame that in a lot of churches... They've made it such a way to be able to receive, to receive, to receive, while the congregation does not get blessed, does not get blessed, does not get blessed. And it's a shame, and it's a slippery slope. It's these three dogs that Satan has that are constantly howling and snapping at the pastor's feet. You know, one of them is sex, one of them is is power, and the other one is money. And these three dogs are constantly snapping at the, the pastor's feet. And so God uses certain abilities to keep people humble. And others just break right through and just continue on. And and, and they, they build an empire out of the meager givings that people give. And they build an empire and, and they say, see, you can be like this too. God wants to bless you. Just give, continue to give, 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 give. And if you don't give, well, God's going to zap me dead, but you better give. That's not what Paul was all about. Matter of fact, Paul says, I don't even know what I'm going to use it on. <laughs> the further the kingdom, I'm locked up in prison. You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to even... Put that into practice. But what Paul says is, you know what? The best thing that's happened here is not that I received a gift, but that it's blessed you. It's blessed your, 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 your fruitfulness. You see, as a believer, you got to bear fruit. You know, if you don't bear fruit, then you're fruitless. Bottom line. And I don't know about you, but why would you spend so much time and energy on a plant or a vine or anything that doesn't produce fruit. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you would bear much fruit. Look at this next verse, verse 2. In your outlines, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Who? God. God is a vine dresser. And every branch that does not bear fruit, that does bear fruit, excuse me, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit, that it may bear more fruit. If there is no fruit, if you claim to be a Christian, then you should be bearing fruit. Bottom line. Again, Jesus is talking about the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of good works, the fruit of of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, you should be producing that. that. That's just a given. You should have love, you should have joy, you should have peace. Those are just some of the things you should have. You should have patience. You know, God's working. You've got that in you. That's the fruit that you should be bearing. And when we talked about not being anxious and being content these last couple of weeks, when Paul says that, you know, he likes the fact that you're bearing more fruit that way because you're growing. And it's an indicator of your spiritual growth. And Jesus said, well, if you're connected to me, Jesus says, then you're going to bear fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, then there's something wrong. And so, I guess the outcome is what verse verse 8 says. Excuse me, yeah, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Well, actually in verse 3, I didn't, I didn't put that verse in there. But in verse 3 it says that the fruit, the fruit does not bear fruit. Guess what? It gets cut away. It gets cut, it gets taken off, it gets uprooted, it gets burnt. And so as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we, we need to be bearing fruit. Paul says to the people in Colossians, we'll study this as we get there. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How do you bear fruit? You bear it by good works, by expressing your love to God, by working out your salvation with fear and trembling, by growing in your righteousness, by becoming more connected to God, by desiring God. But your your fruit should be a fruit of praise, and that should grow and grow and grow even more so. And recognize that you are helpless without him. And stop trying to work this world on your own. This world has plenty of troubles, and it'll continue to have plenty of troubles. And it doesn't matter how much you focus on them, you're going to have troubles. Jesus even promised it: In this world you will experience tribulations. Fear not, for I have overcome the world. It's going to happen. Bear fruit. Probably the best time to bear fruit is when, well, let me rephrase that. The best time for you to get strong in that time of being able to, well, as Paul put here, uh, to be revived. That horticulture term that to be revived, the best time to be revived is after you've gone through so much struggle in your life. You see, because what happens when, when you're dormant, when, when things are happening, the elements are just coming upon you and you can't help it. But you have to kind of shut down and you have to be dormant because if you, if you sprout out a, a flower or a fruit, the elements, the freezing cold, the, the snow and all those things, it's just going to kill it. And so what has to happen is your roots have to grow deep and strong and deeper into the ground, into the nutrients to be able to survive the elements around you. A beautiful word that Paul used. Your, your, your suffering and your time in, in Philippi and all these things that were going on it caused your roots to grow deep and weighty and strong to hold on against anything. The one thing that a huge tree needs to have are deep roots. If you ever drive through San Bernardino or anywhere else after a windstorm and you see these trees that have fallen over, it's because they don't have deep roots. The ones that have deep roots are the ones that stay. Your gift will produce fruit in due time. And the best time for you to grow is through adversity. It's just natural. It's a natural thing. It's to grow through adversity. We sing a song sometimes, uh, blessed be the name, blessed be your name, O Lord. When the sun's shining down on me, when it's all it should be. I'm gonna bless your name. Blessed be the Lord. When I'm walking through the wilderness or the and the sun's beating down on me, and all everything seems to be going wrong, I'm still going to bless your name. Job said the same thing. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said the same thing. You know what? Even if he doesn't save us, O King, we're still gonna bless his name. It is A pattern throughout scripture that adversity comes and people just hunker down on the word of God the roots go deep and they get stronger and they stronger until they can come up and blossom number number three in the back of your outlines your gift is pleasing to God I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, he says. I've got all I need. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This goes back to the Old Testament. I'm sure that Paul had taught them the sacrificial system, the Levitical system. And I'm sure Paul has, he's he's mentioned this and not without any explanation. But it it goes right back to the, the day of Noah. And when Noah... Was uh, When the flood came after he built the ark, he spent a lot of years planning and doing, and finally the the Lord called all the animals, and they came into the ark. God closed the door. The rains came down, and the floods came up, and everybody was pounding. Everybody was making fun of Noah, were pounding on the door trying to get in. But Noah couldn't open the door because he didn't close it. God said, it's time. Boom, doors closed, and wiped out the whole world. And when the ark finally landed, and all the animals came out, Noah, remember there was only two of each kind and he had, he had clean animals and, and unclean animals and he took some of the clean animals and he offered a sacrifice unto God. Now the sacrificial system hadn't even put into place yet. Noah is just the first person on the earth after Adam and Eve. And after it was all wiped out, Noah and his family, that was it. So he had in himself to be able to offer God a sacrifice and the word that the, uh, that they use there in Genesis 8.21 And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. What Noah was able to do was able to offer to God what he had. This is all I got, God. And I know that uh, it's it's limited, but you're going to bless me in the same way that Abraham took his son Isaac up to the top of the mountain. I'm going to sacrifice my son because you said so. And I know this is all I have, but I know you're going to bless me. And what Paul is saying here, your, your offering, it's, it's a sweet aroma. God is just pleased to see that what you give to further the kingdom, what you give to produce fruit is pleasing to God. And when, if you study the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the sacrifice was always because we had sinned. Always because of sin, we had to offer a sacrificial offering. And many times when we come to church to offer our offering of praise and worship and our sacrifice of worship, many times we know that we need to get close to God. And we know that when we come here, we will be instructed. We will be directed to to seek God and His shelter, to seek Him and His forgiveness. And it's not the gift that He's looking for. It's the aroma, your attitude, your Love and your praise and all that your spirit just just melds with God's spirit and as we're able to offer it up, God is pleased. He's pleased. He's pleased that you are not only given of your time, of your talents, of your treasures, but that you yourself have given of yourself to God to worship Him. He He knows your heart. He knows what you desire. He knows. And this is why for many of you, when you come here, a lot of you guys leave blessed and encouraged and and I get messages all the time. Thank you. A lot of times you're talking about me. A lot of times, you know, it's just amazing just to hear that. The writer to the Hebrews says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. See, it's not just what you have, it's your whole being. Paul says, God wants it all. The problem with the living sacrifice on an altar is that it tends to crawl off, you know, and that's why back then they would have to slaughter the altar, the, the sacrifice, before putting it. On the altar, and the way this worked out was that the, the people would bring in their their sin offering, their grain offering, whatever it was, and the priest would take it, and he would take the bull, the ram, or, or whatever, or the bird, the pigeon, and, and they would cut it up into quarters or pieces, and they would put it up on top of the altar, and, and all of this, the fat, and I mean, who doesn't love a good barbecue, right? <laughs> you know how the meat is cooking. Oh, that smells good. I can smell my neighbors. Man, I wish I knew them a little bit better. <laughs> You know, I can, you know, and 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 just this aroma. But it's not the smell, not the bull, not the calf, not anything that you give. It's what you have and what you've given. God says, "It's a pleasing aroma." I see the need, and I can feel that need. See, your gift is pleasing to God. Number four, your gift provides for all your needs. See, when Paul finishes off saying here, you know, everything that you've given. The gifts that you sent, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Then he says this, he finishes off with this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Again, another verse that used out of context. God's going to supply all your needs, everything. You don't have to do anything. He's going to supply everything you need. Well, there's some prerequisites there. There's some things that took place. And this is what happens when you take verses out of context and you build a whole theology around it. I don't have to do anything. God's going to supply all my needs, everything. He will. When he sees that your gift has promoted the gospel, when he sees that your gift has produced the fruit, when he sees that your gift has been pleasing to him. You know what Paul says? When, when all this is taking place, he's going to provide everything you need. The problem with many of us is that we think we need more. We think we, we, we want more, and so therefore we think we need more. Paul says, he's just going to give you what you need. That's why I'm content, Paul says. That's why, that's why I don't worry, Paul says. Because I don't worry because I'm content. I'm content because I know that God is going to provide all my needs. Because I'm giving of myself. I'm giving everything I got. I've given it all. And I'm here in this dungeon rejoicing. And I just want you guys to know that the gift that you guys sent, its just it's, it's an aroma. It's a sacrifice. God notices it. And guess what? He's gonna supply everything else you need. No need to worry about that. He's gonna take care of everything you need. The last thing I want to share with you, oh actually, yeah, the last thing I want to share with you is your gift points to the glory of God. Ultimately, that's our goal. And then Paul says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. The chief and of man, or another way of putting it, what am I to do in life? What's my purpose in life? Well, is to bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever. You bring glory to God in all that you do, in all that you say, in all that you, wherever you are. But what does God want me to do as far as my employment? Personally, I don't think God really cares. As long as it's not illegal, unethical, or immoral. God desires for you to bring glory to Him in your job. He'll provide you a job. You don't have to be all concerned about, well, which job? God says, just go to work. Because the man that doesn't work doesn't eat. You know, who should I marry? Well, you know, there's there are some <laughs> there are some very basic uh Guidelines in Scripture. First of all, don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry a non-believer. You know. Second of all, marry somebody that's compatible with you. You know. But but who? Which one of these? God A, B, or C? God says, as long as he loves God and he loves you, that's all I want. Because your purpose in life is to bring glory to God. Your marriage in life should be to bring glory to God. And the church that you go to should be the, to bring glory to God. The job that you have should bring glory to God. But it all starts with you to bring glory to God. And when you bring glory to God, and your family brings glory to God, and your workplace, in your workplace, you're bringing glory to God, and your church is bringing glory to God, guess what? Well, it bears fruit. This is why Paul was very adamant about this. He says, yeah, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. We end up with the last verse of, of uh, the the parable of don't worry when Jesus Christ is talking to us about not worrying. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek Him first. Bring glory to God and He will give you everything. Paul's final greetings. Greet everyone, every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with you. Uh, with me greet you. All the saints Greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace. Amazing grace. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus' grace gave us what we did not deserve. We didn't deserve if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be here. Let me ask you to stand. It's been an amazing journey going through the book of Philippians. Putting it all together. And I thank you, God, that you've seen it good that we finished this together. And for those that were able to go through the Book of Philippians, and I pray that we can continue on in this journey as we go through the Book of Colossians. And just the uh, the remarkable, uh, just the, the remarkable truth that's in there, and how it it coincides with Ephesians, and of course the rest of Paul's letters, always focusing on the cross, always focusing on the crucifixion. Always focusing on Jesus Christ to him be the glory and Lord I just I, I, what I ask right now Lord that I know sometimes uh, in in the giving of our gifts and abilities it is a touchy subject and I know Lord that um, you will prompt your people to do what is right and I pray Father that uh, your word is just it does not come back void that the fruit that is being given it may not be tangible. Oh, Lord, but it is peaceful. And it is your fruit. And we want to bear fruit. We want to bear all kinds of fruit. So, Father, we thank you for this book. Thank you for this great messenger, Paul, that you used to give us this letter today. As you dismiss us now, help us to live in a worry-free life, content, and willing just to focus on you. And help us not to be worried or anxious about anything, to be content about the things that we have and to give as we can. Father, once again, dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. All right, I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer. Otherwise, just join us next door for a cup of coffee and uh, some goodies.